what are you going to do if you get arrested? Now, I'm not talking about some minor violation like a speeding ticket or something. What if you get arrested for some serious crime of some sort or another, maybe murder or bank robbery or something like that? Now, we know what we're going to do, right? Hopefully we don't know this by personal experience, but we do know, right? We've watched all those shows on TV. We've seen those detective shows and those police shows and those lawyer shows. I know that I have one phone call coming, right? I have the right to make a phone call. Now, where's my phone call going to go? Where's your going to go? I'm going to call Cindy. Now, you're going to call your husband or your wife, right? You're going to call someone close in the family. If you get that one phone call, tell them what's happened. And you're going to have a primary message for them. And that primary message is going to be, get me a lawyer. <laughs> get me a good lawyer. I don't want just any old lawyer. I want a really good lawyer. I want the best one that money can afford. Uh, one who has lots of experience dealing with these sort of things, who has a, a proven track record, you know. He's taken people who've been arrested for various crimes and he's been able to get them out uh, without penalty. We want a lawyer who knows the system. Uh, we want a lawyer, I, you know, if I'm arrested and all these serious things are, you know, bearing down on me, I want a lawyer who can tell me what to expect and what to do. And really, if you think about it, if you had all of your druthers, as we say, about the lawyer you would get in a bad circumstance like that, you'd like to get a lawyer who knows the judge. You know, I'm going to be, my trial will be before this particular judge. I want a lawyer who has tried cases before that judge. I want a lawyer who knows that judge well. And that being the case, then my lawyer can also advise me of some things about the judge. Uh, the lawyer might tell me, uh, be sure to get a haircut before you go. He hates to see people in his court with long hair. Or uh, be sure to wear a coat and tie. Don't come in there dressed, uh, you know, in, in, in a T-shirt and jeans and, and tennis shoes. Dress up. He likes to see people dressed up in his court. Don't slouch down in your chair, whatever you do. When you're sitting there during the proceedings, sit up straight, pay attention, and when you're spoken to, say, yes, sir. He loves yes, sirs. And by all means, do not chew gum in his court. He hates it when people chew gum in his court. Now, you know, uh, those would be some valuable things to know about that judge, right? Because the judge is the one who's going to determine my case. And, and I want to know what he wants and what he likes and especially what he doesn't like. Those, in, those kind of insights would be invaluable. All right. With all of that having been said, you knew where I was headed, right? You knew I was headed toward the fact that we all do face an impending judgment. Hopefully we will not be in the court of civil law. Hopefully we won't be charged with a serious crime. Certainly, hopefully we won't ever have to have a lawyer who knows the judge. But we all are going to stand on trial. We have a judgment coming, and the one we're talking about is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So all of us who are here this morning have this judgment ahead of us. And of course, the, the outcome of that trial or hearing or that appearance before the judge is the most important of all, because it involves our eternal souls. In the reading that Timothy did for us just a few moments ago, it talks about how critical this is. In Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 36, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The, the outcome of this impending trial that we all face has to do with our eternity. You could gain the whole world. If you had every bit of wealth that existed in the entire world, but you ended up losing your eternal soul, you would have made a miserable trade-off. We have to be ready for this trial. And that being the case then, what about this judge that we're going to stand before? I want to suggest to you that the Bible tells us some things about that judge. We're going to title our lesson this morning, Five Things You Need to Know Before You Face the Judge. You need to know this now so that you can be making preparation and be ready uh, for that final judgment. Before we get into these five things that you need to know, let us stop here for just a minute to express our thanks to everyone for being here today. Uh, we have a number of visitors with us, and we're very grateful that you've come. Uh, we want to invite you to come back just literally every time you have a chance to be here. Please come and join us. Ask whatever questions that you have. And if we can assist with Bible study, we're very anxious to do that sort of thing. Let us know how we can be a special service to you. But thanks to one and all for being here on this Lord's Day. So we're, we're going to stand before the judge. What do we need to know in anticipation of that? Well, first of all, let's make this point about the one who will judge us. He is just and all-knowing. The judge that we will face is a just judge, absolutely just and fair and right. And he knows everything. Think about this idea of our judge being a just judge, fair and right. You know, an earthly judge uh, might get paid off. Someone might slip a bribe to a judge, and therefore the judge uh, would rule uh, in a certain way based upon the fact that he had been bribed into making that decision. Now, all of us have had some experience with that sort of thing. The church here in the past has had experience with that sort of thing, we think, where we didn't get justice because we think the judge was corrupt in certain matters. Uh, uh, what about that? Or, or what about a judge maybe that you could deceive, you could keep back part of the truth from him? He wouldn't know all the elements of the, of the matter, and therefore he would make a judgment based upon incomplete information. Maybe the judgment wouldn't be right because the judge didn't know all the facts of the matter. Well, that might happen. Those kind of things might happen with an earthly judge, but not with our eternal judge. He is perfectly just and completely all-knowing. Notice in Hebrews chapter 14, verse 9, the ways of the Lord are right. That's just a simple statement of definition. What the Lord does is right. He's perfectly fair and just. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 5, the just Lord, he will not do iniquity. And so, in any instance that you might have known of, and there have been plenty of them, obviously, where there have been corrupt judges who pervert judgment, that's not going to happen here. Not in regards to the judge we're dealing with. And that being the case then, know that you're not going to be able to offer a bribe, be dishonest, or withhold information because the Lord knows all that. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways. That's what he's like. And then in Proverbs 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Everything is known to him. Nothing escapes his notice. Numbers 32, verse 23, You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. 
There won't be any keeping that from him. Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So, there's two important things, characteristics of this eternal judge that we're going to stand before. First of all, he is just. Uh, no, no bribery, no dishonesty, uh, no under-the-table kind of dealings, no corruption at all with this judge. Uh, so you're not going to be able to sneak by because of something like that. And he's all-knowing. He, he knows everything. Therefore, you're not going to be able to... to you, you might have done this, but he doesn't know about it, so he will rule in your favor because you were able to keep secret from him what the bad that you'd really done. Nothing like that, right? So he is completely just and all-knowing. You need to know that up front. So, so that, that should affect the way you act and live, knowing that you're going to deal with a judge who's like this, right? There's not going to be any loopholes. There's not going to be getting, in, getting around what's right and fair. There's not going to be anything kept back or hidden. Know that now. And then act accordingly, right? Live your life in preparation to stand before this judge. A second thing that we know about this judge is that he judges by an absolute standard. It is absolutely the case in our world that some judges don't uphold the law. Either they don't know the law well themselves, or they just make a mistake, or maybe they have been corrupted by some sort of a payoff or something, uh, and, and so they sort of bend the rules. Uh, uh, maybe they're in a bad mood on a given day. Or maybe on another day they're in a good mood and they let people off uh, who should have been punished and vice versa. Uh, there's some, when you go before a, a judge in a court of law, among mortal men this is, then there's a chance that you know, the absolute rule of law will not prevail. In fact, you know, our whole system of appeals is based upon the fact that a given judge could make a mistake or be wrong in a judgment that he hands down. So if you get, if your case is heard in a lower court and you don't like the outcome of that, you can say that you know you, you might say the judge made a faulty decision there. The, the proceedings weren't conducted properly. The way it was handled what I'm going to appeal my case to a higher court uh, because I think the first judge was wrong and he didn't apply the law accurately, right? And we've got a whole system of appeal courts that go all the way to the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. We know how that works. Also, we know that laws in different jurisdictions are different. The law here might be different than a law in another state, some other locality, and so that could factor in, that, that there's no absolutes. Laws are different in different places, uh, certainly, we know that courts rule based upon precedents that have been set. You know, So there's a precedent here that this is what's done in such and such a case, even though it may not be perfectly in harmony with the law as it is written. Some laws are not even enforced in our world. All of those kind of things happen. Certainly, laws are subject to interpretations, and some of those interpretations are wrong. Enforcement of different laws is different. Some are enforced, and some aren't. And then, of course, there's this whole matter of plea bargaining. You know, I, I did it. I'm guilty, but I'm going to make a. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to make a deal with the judge, and I. And, and so, you know, 
maybe this rather serious felony that I committed could be, if I plead guilty to a lesser charge, maybe I won't get the penalty I really deserve. I can plead guilty to something less. All of that sort of suggests how the laws of men are, are not very rigid and often are not applied accurately. But not in the case with our final judge. Our final judge is going to, to, to determine our eternal outcome based upon the absolutes of his word. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. There's that absolute standard that we're going to be judged by. It's not, it's not arbitrary. It's not unknown. We know it now. It's clearly spelled out to us in the Scripture. In Psalm 19, beginning verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, think about this law of God, and it is going to be our absolute standard that we'll be judged by. Isn't it a real blessing that we know this now? That we have the advantage of right now knowing what, what our eternal judgment will be based upon. It's not going to be the case uh, that we show up and the Lord pulls out a rule book that He never revealed to us. And He said, you didn't do this, this, and this. And you say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, He says, too bad. You're out of here. It's not going to be like that, right? We know right now. We know exactly what to expect. And so you are not going to be able to go before the Lord in judgment and say, well, I didn't know I had to do that. Yes, you did. Or at least you had the opportunity to know that. You can't plead ignorance, right? Because the Lord has done such a marvelous job of perfectly revealing His will to us, we have the capacity to fully know what He wants. And that's going to be the standard we're judged by. But it's a blessing to have that information now and not be sort of sitting on pins and needles wondering what he's going to judge us about that he didn't tell us about. Not the case. So this judge that we have to stand, stand before, know that he will judge us by that absolute standard. Another thing, know this right now, that your judgment is going to be based upon what you did. It's, judgment is individual in nature. You know, it happens in our world that sometimes people get caught up in a sort of a mob action. Uh, a big group of people go about to commit crimes and violence and civil disorder and so forth. But the thinking of that is, if I, if, if I were to get caught up in this mob, they can't arrest us all, right? I mean, there were, there were a thousand people involved in that demonstration, and they were throwing rocks and breaking windows and burning cars, and I was there... But they couldn't catch us all. They, they, could, they couldn't possibly arrest us all. They might get a few. But most of us are going to get away having committed the crime and, and never be arrested for doing it. Right? And so the, the idea is if, it, if everybody's doing it or there's a big bunch of people doing this, very likely I, I'll be able to skip out and not be caught, arrested, judged for what I did. Well, that's not going to work in the case of this judge. Uh, I'm not going to be able to, to, to feel like I won't get caught, and neither am I going to be able to 
to argue that, well, I was there, but I didn't throw any rocks. I didn't set any cars on fire. Other people were doing worse things than I did in that mob that I was a part of. No, no, those kind of arguments are going to work. Um, one of the things that happens in our world, and we, we hear about this seem like increasingly, is people who were arrested, who went to jail, are now being released because we don't have enough space in our jails. We don't have enough money to keep them up. And so, uh, if you're, if your crime is in a certain class of crimes, you may just get to go free because our system is so overwhelmed with criminals uh, that you might get a pass that way. None of those sort of situations is going to be true relative to our, our stand before the eternal judge. We will not get lost in the system. We won't be able to compare ourselves to others and say what we did wasn't as bad as them. Judgment is going to be on an individual basis. Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. You're going to stand there, and you will be judged based upon what you did. You won't be able to say, well, what about that other guy? Or what about that whole other crowd of people? It doesn't matter about them. You're going to be judged for the things that you have done. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You know what's rather stunning to think about, I believe, is to know that your entry is in that book now. And as you live your life here, the things you do, even the things you say and think about, are being recorded in that book. And you're going to be judged. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book. You got an entry there. Your record is there. There's an accounting of the things that you have done there. Nothing will be overlooked. You will not be able to escape it. Judgment will be individual in nature. All right. You begin to get some points now, right? These are not new to us, right? We've, we've, we've thought of these things before. But you begin to say, well, this judgment, this eternal judgment which is coming, is not like what we might expect in a court of law in Murray County, Tennessee these days. It's going to be different than that, right? In a lot of very critical ways, this eternal judgment will be different. Know that. Know that in advance and act accordingly. Another thing that will be true of this trial is that really no defense will be offered. Um, you know, a, a human lawyer takes his client into a courtroom and it may be just as obvious as the nose on your face that this guy is as guilty as he can possibly be. He, he, he did the deed. He committed the crime. But what, the, what his attorney is going to try to plead is some sort of extenuating circumstances. You know, well, he, yeah, he might have done that. And we don't even really deny that he did do that. But the reason he did that was this and this and this. And he tries to, he, he tries to explain it away. Right? He, he, that's, that's the idea of a defense attorney. He's trying to get his client off without penalty. And even when it's very obvious that the client was guilty, he's going to plead the reasons why he should be excused. But actually, in the case of this eternal trial, there's not going to be a defense or an argumentation that will get you off the penalty. 
Notice the, the, the accounting in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is sort of describing that judgment scene. He said, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now notice this. Many will say to me in that day. What day is he talking about? The judgment day, right? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You get the idea. Here's some people who want to argue their case. They want to present a defense. Lord, we were really, we were doing some good stuff now, Lord. In fact, let us tell you about some of the good things that we were doing. And they begin to try to enumerate. The Lord cuts that off. The Lord's not going to be moved by that. He's going to say instead, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why? Ye that work iniquity or lawlessness. And so, you can try to make your case, but it won't work, right? You can try to play, well, maybe I did some bad stuff, but I did some really good stuff too. No. No defense will be allowed. In fact, that, this passage suggests that that kind of thing will be cut off. And you're not going to be able to plead your case in that way. No real defense will be made. Again, that being the case, no now. You, you, don't be imagining in the back of your mind, well, yeah, I did this, I did that. I didn't do these other things I should have been doing. I, you know, we sometimes talk about sins of omission and sins of commission. There were, there were things I, I, I omitted. In other words, things I should have done that I didn't do. And there were things that I committed or committed, things I, that I did wrong that I shouldn't have been done. But, and I, I got, I got these things. But over here on the other side of the scale, I got some good things that I did, and I'm, I'm just going to try to plead my case that the good I did offsets the bad that I did. No. Not going to happen. Really, no defense will be allowed. By the time we get before that judgment seat of Christ, it will be known. Our case will be known. And it will be basically a matter of pronouncing judgment. It's not going to be, it's not going to be, oh, maybe, maybe the good outweighs the bad, maybe a little more good than bad. No. It's not going to be like that. Finally, let me suggest to you, this is the fifth. We said five things you need to know. And I think you knew these already. But be reminded, the fifth thing, the judgment's going to be final. No appeal. Uh, I was doing a little reading the other day. Um, you know how many, how many people are on Tennessee's death row? In other words, people convicted of capital offenses, murder and so forth. You know how many are there? Presently, 67 people on death row, 67 people who've been convicted and, and assessed the death penalty. But you know how long it's been since anybody was executed in Tennessee? It's been over six years since there was an execution in Tennessee. We've got 67 people who have been judged worthy of death, but we're not following through that. Why not? Well, because there's this appeals process, right? It's got to go through appeal after appeal after appeal. And they just keep dragging this thing out. You know, you know the guy who's been on death row the longest? There's a guy on death row in Tennessee right now who's been there for 34 years. He's been on, he was convicted of a capital offense 34 years ago. Well, why hasn't he been executed? Well, because of this appeals process. He keeps appealing his case. Appeal after appeal after appeal and never follow through, right? Never happens. Well, in God's court, that will not be the case. 
It'll be the judgment will be final, and there will be no appeal. In Luke chapter 16, we have the, the very famous story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's a longer account. We won't take time to read that all. But you remember, the rich man was a man who did not fear God. And, and so when he died, he went to a place of torment. We believe that this is in Hades, where the dead go to await their final judgment and assignment to heaven or hell. In Hades, there are two places. A place of torment, where the rich man went. A place of comfort, called Abraham's bosom, where Lazarus went. But we have there in Luke 16 this picture. And the rich man was pleading for something to be done for him. But Abraham said to him, Between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Abraham basically says, it's done. It's finished. You're, you're really, although this is Hades, not yet heaven and hell, this is Hades, but the, 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 the thing is set. Your destiny is sealed. It can't be changed. We can't come to you. You can't come to us. This is the way it is. And so, no appeal, no changing the outcome. Once we die, uh, it is a finished thing. And so, know this. Again, what we're saying is, these are some things to know now. We all knew this, right? And I'm not, we're not sharing any new information this morning that you did not know. But just be reminded, because we're challenged every day, on a daily basis, to be living our lives the right way. The way we live our lives need to be based on an understanding of these kind of concepts. This ought to affect the way that we live our daily lives. Finally, let me, let's go to that passage in Luke, the, the rich man and Lazarus, just one more time. In Luke chapter 16, at the end of that story, the rich man asked Abraham, he says, this is Luke 16, verse 27, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, send Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Well, Abraham was basically saying, no, they won't listen. Uh, they've rejected the message that already came to them. If someone, someone rose from the dead and came with a special message to them, they wouldn't believe that either. They're going to keep living the way they want because they've made a decision to live that way. They're not listening to the warning. They wouldn't listen to any additional warning. Is basically what Abraham said to the rich man. You know, I think that's the case with a lot of people today. Uh, the warning is out there. It's certainly very clear, not hard to understand. The warning is there, but people continue to live their lives in violation of God's will. If one rose from the dead, but wait a minute, one did rise from the dead, right, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, and people still reject the message and deny the warnings and continue to live their lives in violation of God's will. They won't listen even though one did rise from the dead. Don't let that be the case with you. Make your life right. Be prepared for the judgment which is coming upon us all. If you're not yet a Christian, that, of course, means becoming one. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you understand that and are ready to obey, 
We're ready to assist you. If you need more study, say so, so we can clear up any questions that you have and you can make this decision to do God's will in your life. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, know that you're not prepared for this. This judgment's coming. It's, it's unavoidable. Uh, and, it, and if you know that your life is not right with God, why would you linger in that situation any longer? Come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.